Let us pray. O gracious Father, pour your Spirit upon our hearts and our minds and draw near to us that we might know you more deeply, that we might be drawn into your presence as you have already drawn near to us. And help us, O Lord, to walk this path that you have placed us on. Grant us to ever be faithful to the way that leads us to you. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Are you anxious, worried, unsure about life? You probably would be if all that you had was the culture around us. If all that you had was hearing what the news says, hearing what various people say on TV, hearing what people around us are concerned with. After all, we are in the midst of some kind of pandemic. We've seen and heard of many people dying from this illness. And it brings sadness, it brings grief, but it creates anxiety, it creates fear in us if we let it. It leads us astray from the Lord. And like I said, our cultural mood doesn't help us right now. It seems to capitalize on creating more fear, more anxiety, more worry, more uncertainty. Every day, day in and day out, something new is there to make us worry. But for us as believers, we have nothing to be worried about. In the grand scheme of things, we don't need to be anxious or fearful. We don't need to be consumed with uncertainty about where life is going. In fact, Paul gives us many things that we can do today. He speaks of many things that should be the way that a Christian responds to the situations around them. He describes them for us. And as he commands them, one thing I want us to always remember is that in the commandments of God, there is a promise. In the commandments of God, there is a promise for us that he will fulfill these things in us as we trust in him. As we trust in Jesus, these things will come to fulfillment for us. After all, that is exactly what Paul talks about here when we get to the very end about how he can do all things through Christ, through the God who has strengthened him and saved him. And so Paul tells us to rejoice and that rejoicing will lead to peace and that peace of God comes from the God of peace and that that will teach us contentment, that that will be the way of learning contentment in our Lord. But first, in verse 4, Paul starts off with just this simple command, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Something I discovered about this word is we often think of rejoicing as being this inward joy that we have. That yes, maybe outwardly we show smiles and we show excitement, we show praise. But the big idea of this word is not only about an inward attitude of joy that we are to have in the Lord, but what I found interesting was discovering that it's also a word that is about a very public celebration. 
a very outward celebration, that it's not just saying, oh, I rejoice in the Lord with a nice, calm, even voice, a perfect balance of emotions being had within us. But it's a word about having a celebration that everyone can see. It's a word about having a big party to tell people about what God has done, what the Lord is doing in the here and now in us and what he has done in the past. There is to be joy in our gathering and in our worship, in our public celebrations. That yes, joy is an inward attitude, but it has a major, massive outward response. And Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, him wanting to repeat just that aspect, that joy that you can't just rejoice once, but keep rejoicing, live a life of rejoicing, live a life in the joy that the Lord has brought into you. As I said, joy is both inward and outward. But that inwardness also, on the flip side, is not something we cook up in ourselves. We don't create joy. We don't muster up the strength to have joy. Joy is an attitude. Joy is an emotion that flows out of the surety of what Christ has done. You know, we always draw that distinction between being happy and being joyful. One of the things I read about happiness is that the word happy comes from, I think, an old English word, hap, which just means luck. And so happiness has to do with luck in its etymology. Of course, you never can trust etymology because it's all about how we use words. But I think that we still use happy like that. Happiness depends on your circumstance. To be happy is to be dependent on the events occurring around you. To be joyful is to rest upon a rock that doesn't change. To be joyful is to have an emotion that comes from what Christ has done. It comes from resting in who he is and his dwelling with us and in the midst of us. Happiness goes up and down, up and down. Joy is a steady, ever-flowing emotion that draws its strength out of the Lord Jesus, out of the work of the Spirit on our hearts to renew it, to change it, to mold it, that it might love Jesus, that it might love God fully. I like how Charles Erlinson put it. In one of his commentaries on Philippians, he said, While happiness can be like a roller coaster, based on emotions or situations, we are commanded to have joy always. Regardless of circumstances, Paul found joy because joy is based on what God has done, is doing, and can do. Not on what we do, or cannot, or do not do. So the joy rests in Christ. It rests in God's work. And that's how joy flows out of us. And that's why Paul can say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And he continues in this emphasis on rejoicing by saying, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This word reasonableness has been translated in so many different ways. It's sometimes been translated as sweetness, forbearance, patience, being slow to take offense. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. How do you respond to people, Paul is asking? Respond sweetly in that sense of not overreacting. Respond with patience toward 
those who would offend you. Be slow to take offense at another person. It sounds a little bit like what St. James says about be slow to speak and quick to hear. Quick to listen to what others say, but don't speak too quickly in that. There's a sense in this word, which is that you know what is the right course, but you are gentle in your response to the person who's moving in the wrong direction. You're seeing another's blindness as your own, recognizing your own weakness in order to extend kindness to that person. Luther says the Christian lets God be all things to him, and he is therefore all things to all men. He is to all men as God is to him. He receives from God and gives to men. That's what our reasonableness is, that patience, that lack of offense at others. It's us, again, resting in God, resting in Christ, receiving from Christ what we need, and responding in kind toward those around us. And he says everyone, all kinds of people, the people that we encounter in every aspect of our life, we as individuals have to respond with kindness toward them, with patience. Now, I'm not saying that we don't contradict them ever, that we don't correct them when we need to, but our corrections are built on who Christ is and how he has corrected us. He has worked his spirit in us. His spirit lives within us and convicts us and turns us from our sins. But that turn is sometimes very, very slow for us because we are weak. But Paul reminds us in another letter of his, when I am weak, I am strong. And so when we recognize our weaknesses, we're able to respond with compassion and mercy toward those who offend us, toward those who would hurt us, toward those who would have that we would have every reason to be angry with. And so we turn to Christ, we turn to God to find all that we need. And all of that is the basis of why Paul can then say, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He drives us to a response of prayer of pouring out our hearts before God, of drawing near to Him by praying and giving to Him those things that we need with thanksgiving. Our requests are to be made with a thankful heart, knowing that God will hear us, knowing that God will listen, thanking Him for what is going on because we know that at the end of the day, He is in control. He is in charge. He is guiding what is happening around us, leading us through His grace leading us deeper into his grace. And so we can respond and let go of anxiety and fear. We can let go of worry and pray in everything. From the greatest of struggles to the greatest of needs to the smallest of things, we can carry those to God. After all, he has worked out a salvation so grand and so glorious that it's renewing all of creation that he has made. Why is it that we would hesitate to go to this one who has done such an amazing and abounding thing and not trust that he can take care of some small things that are causing struggle, that are causing anxiety, that are causing fear. Because that's the antidote to anxiety is rejoicing and praying. 
Rejoicing flows out of a heart full of joy into a public celebration. And prayer flows out of a heart that trusts in God. Prayer flows out of a heart that loves God, that knows that he is there in the midst of all things. And what does Paul say in verse 7? He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All of us will be guarded by that peace. Our hearts and our minds are guarded by the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding. It is a peace beyond our comprehension, a peace beyond what we can know and grasp and lay hold of, but yet it is there fully for us, the peace which comes from God. A peace from God, beyond our understanding, beyond our knowledge, that rests upon us in every circumstance that we can lay hold of, that we can fall into, that we can trust is there. Peace being an attitude of calmness and surety in the midst of a storm. That once more, we are resting on a rock. Our joy is on a rock. Our prayers flow from our standing on that rock. Our reasonableness flows from standing on that rock. And the peace that we feel and sense flows from that rock of peace that keeps us safe in the midst of the storms, in the midst of our struggles, of what we are and who we are in and of ourselves. And then Paul turns around and almost repeats the things that he's talking about from a different perspective. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about the good, honorable, truthful things. As you have seen God deal justly with you by placing your sins on Christ, pursue justice for others, show mercy and compassion. Whatever is pure and holy, dwell on those things. Look to God and trust in what he has done. Learn from God. Learn of God. Those things that are commendable and worthy of praise, focus your mind. Think rightly on those things. Think about what God has done. We've been called to rejoice and to joy. Now Paul is calling us to think And that will lead to action that creates action which flows out of our hearts, flows from where our hearts are resting, flows from what our hearts trust and know. In verse 9, Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. How much anxiety must that have caused Paul to tell these people, do what you've seen me do. What you've learned and received and heard and seen, practice those things. He's already said it before. Follow my example. Be like me. See what I've done and follow that. Join in imitating me. So Paul probably isn't that scared, but yet still, there has to be some level of worry in saying something like that. What if I mess up? What if I fail? What if I sin greatly? What will these people say about me? But then Paul does follow up with something that I think is important for understanding why he can say, do what you've seen in me. Practice these things. 
the thinking and the doing, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. That God who has created the peace that we can experience is with us. As we pursue, as we rejoice, as we pray, as we think well and act well, the God of peace is with us. We can come and sense and understand what He is doing, how He is acting, what He has done for us. And I love the flip around that Paul does here. In verse 7, he says, The peace of God is with us and guards us. And now here in verse 9, he says, And the God of peace will be with you. The God who has created peace and sends that peace upon you is with you. I love how Paul does that, how he leads us to this, this reshaping of our heart, our will, and our actions. How, God, how Paul works these things out and reveals them to us. That as our hearts are changed, our will will respond. And our mind will think rightly. Paul is working these things before us, showing how it has worked in him and then calling us to do the same things because he has known the promises of God coming to him, being fulfilled in him. And finally, after telling us to rejoice, after telling us to think on these things, Paul says that he has received contentment from God. In verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I like how Paul did that there. He kind of says, finally you thought about me. You finally remembered me. But then he backs up. He's like, well, I know you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to let me know of your concern. Like how Paul just gets to writing as fast as he can, and then he realizes, oh, I need to back up and kind of re-say what I'm saying right there. But since everything is on parchment with ink, I can't erase it, so I just have to leave it there and just add a, add a little note. It's like, I know you were concerned, but you hadn't had a chance to show it. You hadn't, didn't have a messenger to send to me to let me know, to bring the gift that I know that you wanted to give. And he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, how to, be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Contentment. He's received and learned contentment from the Lord. That's what flows out of rejoicing and praying and thinking and receiving the peace is contentment comes to you. Your heart is reshaped to rest. Your heart is reshaped to be thankful. Your heart is reshaped to find joy in no matter what you have and no matter the circumstances that are around you, you learn that steady attitude of contentment. Sometimes I'm not sure if these are necessarily a step-by-step -step progression that one leads to the other, that leads to another, but they're all an interlocking puzzle. They're all related to each other. They ebb and flow with one another. It's not so much that Paul is laying out a linear map for us, but he's revealing to us a circle of events 
that feed off one another, that tell each other how to grow. That, of course, we can't really rejoice in the Lord until we know something of contentment. And we don't really rejoice until we know something of peace. But we don't know peace until we know contentment, but we can't know contentment without peace. We can't think rightly without that peace being already in us. But yet as we think rightly, we know that peace more deeply and we know that contentment more deeply. They all work together. It's all a circular thing that you can come into it where you need to. And they feed each other. As you rejoice, you're going to be more deeply contented with what the Lord has given you and know His peace a little more deeply. And as you know the peace of God more deeply, you're going to be led into deeper rejoicing and even greater contentment. And as you cry out for deeper contentment, God's peace is going to fill your heart more and more, which leads to the deeper rejoicing, the greater rejoicing. It all feeds on itself and grows and grows that we might bring great praises before our Lord and God, before His throne. And then Paul can, we conclude today with Paul's beautiful statement. As he said, I know how to be brought low and how to abound. That he knows the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need by being content. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can't find much more of a bumper sticker kind of verse from Paul right here. Actually, you probably can. Paul has wonderful one-liners in his passages. But here is one that gets overused, that gets abused, in fact, in our Christian culture. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I mean, we've seen it in every kind of Christian movie that we've ever watched or even seen a simple preview for. This verse gets interpreted as, I can win every game. I can be victorious in every battle. I can be successful in every endeavor I pursue. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'll accomplish whatever I set my mind to because God has given me the strength to do all things in Christ. But that's the exact opposite of what Paul's saying right here. He's not saying I can be successful in everything. He's not saying I can win every game and be victorious in every battle because Christ gives me the strength to do those things. No, in fact, he says that even in the lowness, in the brokenness, in the hunger, in the pain and need, I can be content with all of that because I rest in Christ who strengthens me. I can do anything. I can face any circumstance, any situation because I stand firm on Christ. Paul has strength in Christ to stand, to be sustained, to rest in Christ himself because he has Christ himself. He stands firm regardless of losses or wins, victories or defeats, successes or failures, because Christ is his strength in everything. At the foundation, Christ is there, and that is what St. Paul has built upon, this sure rock and foundation, the sureness of knowing that Christ is with him in all things. He is our strength so that we can be sustained in all things. That regardless of what the world brings onto us, we can stand firm and weather the storm because we have the peace of God that comes from the God of peace.
And that teaches us contentment. It teaches us to rest and stand firm. No matter the storm, no matter the circumstances, no matter the struggles, so that we can rejoice. All of this, again, is all intertwined together. As we recognize how to receive contentment, that it rests in the strength of Christ, that no matter the circumstance, I am with Christ and Christ is with me. Paul said in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's about Christ. He is the foundation, the rock upon which we build our salvation, upon which we build out the redemption he has given to us that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in us to will and to do. And so there's where we find the promise that whatever God commands us, he will fulfill. He says rejoice and he's going to give us the ability to rejoice. He says, don't be anxious, but pray. He's going to give us the power to pray, the trust and the faith to pray. And he'll cause us to know that objective peace that is ours in Christ. Though it is beyond our understanding, we will know enough of it to guide us because he is the God of peace who is with us. You don't have the peace of God without the God of peace. And if you have the God of peace, then you'll have the peace of God. And all of that teaches us that contentment. And that contentment leads us to know those things even more deeply. God is a wonderful God who works all of these things together in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. So that we can live the life he calls us to. Because he's empowered us to do that. He's given us the strength to do that. To rejoice in that one who has given us everything. To rejoice that he supplies our needs. To rejoice that others are being saved through us. That we have friends and helpers in the gospel. And that with them we have fellowship. To know that God is working all things together for good. Even death itself, Paul has already said, is a gain for us believers. And we have access in our prayers to the creator and redeemer of all things. His throne of grace is open to us at any time. And so let the Lord teach you contentment. Let you rest in that contentment so that you can rejoice and know the peace of God. So that you can think on the things that God has called us to think on. So that we can live and act as God has called us to do. So that we will know that the God of peace is with us because he's promised to be with us. He has promised to rest with us. He has promised to rest in us and to lift us that we might rest in him and in Jesus himself who walks this path alongside us so that we will know peace and contentment and be able to rejoice all together, circling back and forth through all of those events for the sake of Jesus our Lord, we ask that this will always be true for ourselves. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.